talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Brace and Nathan Baird. We usually do on Mondays here, and we're going to chill out a little bit. Uh, I am in the process of rewatching every single play of the game and grading like it good and bad and what went wrong and what Michigan I'm I'm doing the Ohio State offense first like what defense Michigan played and did the play call get beat or was it something individually that happened and so like you know we're going to digest all of this stuff but we're going to take a step back a little bit Nathan because there are two things I think that we want to discuss and we always try to put Ohio State in the national context on this Monday episode and the national context is different than the rivalry context. And this is the fascinating thing about the Ohio State-Michigan game at this point, that the national view of it is, is I think, it's a vastly different lens than the local view of it, which is you got to beat your rival, you can't lose the game, oh my gosh, this is a, ca- a catastrophe. There's the point of, okay, well, Michigan is on. They are definitely in the playoff. Win or lose, they're going to play Purdue in Indianapolis on Saturday. And even if somehow Purdue springs the upset, Michigan, as one of the three remaining undefeated teams, um, would be in regardless. Ohio State is in the mix for the playoff. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the surprise hiring of Luke Fickle at Wisconsin in conjunction with the hiring of Matt Rule at Nebraska and kind of where we are in the Big Ten. And then we'll do what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking at the end. But first off, Nathan, you think about these things because you cast an AP ballot every week. Do you believe as we sit here in a world where there are three undefeated teams with Georgia, Michigan, and TCU? TCU is playing Kansas State. Michigan is playing Purdue. Georgia is playing LSU. Not good games. Not good opponents. Not conference championship level matchups for those. I mean, LSU just lost to Texas A&M. Purdue is fine. Kansas State is the best of the bunch, and actually TCU has been very much on the idea of he thinks Kansas State is going to beat TCU. But Nathan, first of all, do you think that those three currently undefeated teams are in the playoff win or lose? This year, yes, I think they are. I mean, especially in the case of Georgia, they've been the number one team this whole time. I know that LSU just took another loss to a team that is very good. But I don't think that's going to bump them all the way from like one to five. And I think they probably still will be one on Tuesday. And I don't think there's an interesting case. Some people were voting Michigan number one this week in the AP poll, including me. But I think Michigan also is probably secure. It's a little shakier. But Purdue may be a top 25 team in the reveal on Tuesday night. That helps as far as like giving them some protection there. And then, But in all three of these cases, in this year, where there basically are – the four teams that'll be in the four, like there's only five teams that could possibly be. Like there aren't a long list of candidates like waiting to get in at this point. Um, then I think that the committee would be very hesitant to penalize a team that made the conference championship game. I'm not. I, I maybe I'm putting something in their heads that maybe they haven't. Um, expressed before the, the the basketball committee has expressed that right. Like the basketball committee many times has almost like disregarded, especially in the case of the Big Ten, like what happens on championship game situations as far as getting that field together. But it's hard for me to think that the committee would say to TCU, well, you won 12 games, which let's say Ohio State could not do. You went 12-0, which they couldn't do. That puts you in a 13th game against another really good team on a neutral field, and you couldn't win that, so now you don't get to go. Like that seems – I know they're supposed to pick the four best teams. I think that would be a little bit – 
wrong. I think it'd be wrong. But I mean, the bigger thing is what you said. Like, there's no one else to put in. Right. There's there's no but, other one loss teams. Like, it's like, oh, you're going to put in. Well, now you're a one loss team that lost a conference championship game. It's like, are you going to put in a two loss team that didn't even make a conference championship? Like, who are you putting in instead? Which is why well, there's a discussion about Ohio State. Like, who? Uh, you would get penalized. I think you would be penalized because you lost. But who would you put in instead? Like, who's in the who's in the instead? Who would I put in instead. <laughs> I, we don't need to sidetrack this whole thing already, but I, I Alabama's name is going to come up Tuesday night in ways that people don't want to talk about, probably. If if TCU loses to Kansas State, you would consider putting in Alabama? At have, I would not consider name? putting in Alabama. Absolutely not. I'm saying no, I would not. But okay. I, I'm very curious where Alabama is in the ranking Tuesday night. I, I don't – a two-loss team has never made the playoff. So as long as you have one loss teams to choose from, I think it is a bridge too far. It is a it is a it long is. way to go. And everybody can be scared of the Bama factor. But as it relates to the teams in the conference championship game, I, I don't really think it's a discussion. It will be an interesting reveal on Tuesday night. So, But the, if we establish that Georgia, Michigan, and TCU are in regardless, then it's a discussion about one spot. And I guess we could have a Bama conversation at the end of this, but really this comes down to one loss USC playing three loss Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. This is USC playing the one team it has lost to this year. It lost at Utah when Utah scored at the end of the game and went for two in the win and got it. That's USC's only loss. And so then the discussion would become if USC loses – and is a non-champ and has two losses. And now they are compared to Ohio State, who is a non-champ and has one loss. What would that look like? There are a lot of people that I have seen making the argument, Nathan, that the playoff should be set right now regardless. That the argument we just had, the discussion we just had about TCU, Michigan, and Georgia should also apply to USC. That they are in no matter what. Because the point I saw Dan Wetzel, who was uh, the Yahoo Sports columnist, really good host of college football podcast, was at the Ohio State-Michigan game. And he is saying, you should not be able to lose your way out of the playoff on conference championship game weekend, right? And I guess my question is, and this is why Tuesday Night Matters, is are we sure right now that USC is ahead of Ohio State in the playoff pecking order? And if the committee on Tuesday night has USC ahead of Ohio state and then says, we are not going to drop USC behind Ohio state because USC is playing a game that Ohio state did not make. Then I think that's a reasonable argument. I'm not a hundred percent sure that on Tuesday night, one loss USC should be ahead of one loss Ohio state. So let's have that discussion first. And this is this discussion that you had in your own mind as you were casting your AP ballot. How did you compare one loss USC to one loss Ohio State? And, and, and there is an important wrinkle here, and I'm glad you're bringing this up because we've seen the committee do this before. We saw the committee do this um, last season when it came to uh, Ohio State and Oregon, where it became clear like which one was maybe the better team. But for semantic reasons, they were keeping 
Oregon ahead of Ohio State because of the head-to-head win, and then they could flip them when the time came. They could have waited until, as we said many times last year, they could both keep winning all year, and they could flip it at the last one. There was no rules. So that is a thing the committee has to take into account that I don't, and I think it's, it's very smart of you to bring it up, that we could get to Tuesday night, and the committee could say, well, we're still keeping Ohio State there. Their only loss was to the team that's also a top-four team, and um, it was closer than the score would indicate, which depending on who you are, who's listening to this, you may believe that or not. There are certainly some fans who, when I've tried to make allusion to that, have, have thrown it back on my face in the last 24 hours. But I, I, you're making an important point that the committee could say we're keeping Ohio State there until USC wins. Because then if USC wins, then you jump them and there's no reason not to. But if they don't win, you've protected yourself to having to make that decision. You just leave Ohio State where it is. I think it's a really smart way to look at it. I, as I looked at it, though, it came when, it, when I was just casting my ballot. I mean, USC has similar good wins to Ohio State. They don't have one as good as winning at Penn State. That's the one that Ohio State has that USC doesn't. But they both beat Notre Dame by similar scores. And then when USC's beaten teams like Oregon State, Washington State, UCLA, I was on the road. That's pretty similar to the Wisconsin's, Iowa's, Maryland's that Ohio State has, and you could even argue are better. But un- underlying all of that, Ohio State just did lose by 22 points at home. USC has one one-point loss on the road to a good team. I, I, to me, that was the differentiator, that one team has gotten a little bit s- smacked. The other team barely lost to a team that, with a couple other things go another way, maybe they're a one-loss team right now. I do think... UCLA looked pretty good for a while this year. I think Utah's good. Mm-hmm. I do think Utah's good. I think, I mean, the polls would tell you this, and I think the committee rankings are going to tell us this, that the two best teams that either USC and Ohio State played are Michigan and Penn State. Those are the two best teams. And so the argument that USC hasn't been smacked by a team like Michigan, well, USC didn't play a team like Michigan. And I do think, as you mentioned, that Penn State's, that Penn State's probably the best win. Um Looking at just looking for some data points, right? Looking at ESPN's some of the the metrics they have for the playoff conversation. They do a game control metric, and game control is something that the committee takes into account. I'm not sure that ESPN's version of game control is exactly the same as the committee's, but it's a facsimile. Ohio State fourth in game control, USC ninth, because USC's played some tight games. They played. They won by three at Oregon State in a really low-scoring game. The UCLA game was back and forth the whole game. And you can either look at that again and say, wow, 48-45, I think it was. What a game. It was an awesome tussle. Or you can be like, man, they gave up 45 and like really had to barely pull that thing out. Um, they played like a kind of a kind of a close game at Cal. It's a one-score game on the scoreboard that actually wasn't that close, but they have not dominated. Everybody. Again, I think the Notre Dame wins are pretty equal. So Ohio State in game control slightly ahead. Strength of record, which is a way of of saying how likely would it be that any team would have the record you have against the schedule you played, right? So it's strength of schedule, but with the record that you have taken into consideration. Strength of record, Ohio State 4, USC 6. So that metric by the ESPN model it's slightly more difficult to have an 11-1 schedule against Ohio State's schedule, a 11-1 record on Ohio State's schedule, than an 11-1 record on USC's schedule. Then you look at strength of schedule, which is just overall the quality of the, all the opponents you played. Ohio State, 34. USC, 57. So 
I do USC did had some shaky times early. They've looked better lately. Their offense right is is very high powered right now, and Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman and is really playing very very well. And that's a really good Notre Dame win here at the end of the year. But it is similar. It's right. It's a two score win. Ohio State's was a two score win. Uh, so it was the same differential, eleven points. It was twenty one to ten and thirty eight twenty seven. Yeah. So. Um, you know, both like close, neither, you know, like it wasn't like Notre Dame had the ball with a chance to win at the end against either of them. Right. So, you know, I think, I think those can be evaluated similarly. So the the thing that I, I don't quibble with the idea of not penalizing a team for losing in a conference championship game, but I, I think I do quibble with the idea that USC is definitely ahead of Ohio state right now. Now, we talked about this in the press box. I do think those last seven minutes hurt Ohio State. Like, like of course they want to win, yep. right? We have a lot of consternation among the texters because Ohio State, that's what matters. They didn't win. But we're not having the local rivalry, you've got to beat Michigan conversation. We're going to have that 400 times between now and the first game of the season next year. That's the number one thing to the Ohio State football program. But at the moment, we're talking about Losing to the number three team in the country, who is undefeated and is now going to be number one or number two. Now, it's at home, and USC's loss was on the road. USC's loss was much closer. Ohio State's loss was more definitive. But again, the, the opponent's better. Nobody would argue that Utah is as good as Michigan. You can't make that argument. Utah went on the road and lost at Florida. Utah's lost two other games. If, if Ohio State, Nathan, had not allowed those two big runs at the end and had maybe been in a situation where... They have the ball down eight, right, trying to drive to tie the game, and a pass falls incomplete with 111 left on fourth and six, and now Michigan gets to kneel it out, right? How much stronger do you think their playoff argument would be if the way they, if they, you know, they had a, sh- a chance at a tie in the final two minutes as opposed to, oh, Michigan rolled them in the final seven minutes. And again, it was a one-score game into the final seven minutes. But you also can't – I don't think you want to – I don't. I, I think there has been some impression somewhere of like Michigan dominated Ohio State. I, I don't think that's the accurate reflection. But you also can't ignore the two 80-yard touchdown runs in the final seven minutes when Ohio State couldn't fit a run gap to save its life. So h- how important do you think that was to their playoff argument? I think it's more accurate to say Michigan controlled most of the second half of that game more than they blew them out, I guess. Although, again, final score. But I, I agreed with you as soon as the words were out of your mouth in the press box Saturday because I think you're right. And listen, there you have there are margins here. You have to do comparisons. For instance, on my top 25 poll, <clears throat> there's a cluster of, of Pac-12 teams um, – Oregon, Utah, UCLA, Oregon State. I was basically going to be ranking them all top to bottom. They've all beaten each other. It's all this big cluster of teams. So I had to like pull out a separate sheet and start pulling off the teams I didn't want to compare. And in some ways, I think that's what the committee also has to do here. You're taking out Rutgers. You're taking out whoever else USC has blown out. But you have to get down to the big, most important games. And in the big, most important games, Ohio State, um, well, it still looks like it the other way. USC got into a back-and-forth game with Utah on the road. And made plays at the end to put themselves in position to win that game. And Utah ultimately did win, ultimately got the two-point conversion. But a a very different vibe at the end of that game 
against a, not as good of a team as you say, but a very different vibe in that game on the road than it was for Ohio State in its own building, trying to catch up to Michigan and then making some mistakes that took up away any chance of coming back and having a chance to win that game. I, I think those things ultimately matter. I, I don't. I, I I think we're right to say. Not not to make too much out of the make sure you're putting the score in context, but also realize that um, when you compare head to head, Utah doesn't have a loss like that. I mean, I'm sorry, USC doesn't have a loss like that. Like it, its loss came in a, a much more competitive, down to the last second scenario. And on the road, I, I don't think. I mean, this won't come into the conversation, but the Pac-12 changed this year and said we're not going to have divisions like that and we're it's starting right now now as it turned out usc is the only one lost team in the pac-12 so usc was going to make the conference title game whether there were divisions or not if they had kept divisions they would not be playing utah because usc and utah are both in the south they actually would be playing washington because there's three two lost teams in the pac-12 and the tiebreaker went to utah between oregon washington and utah in the other world, it would have been Washington and Oregon tied at the top of the North, and Washington won the head-to-head, so it would be USC and Washington. But USC would be in regardless. If the Big Ten had done what the Pac-12 did, and we've had this discussion on the podcast before, Ohio State would be playing Michigan mm-hmm. right now. So you can't if and if and butt yourself into an, an Ohio State argument. But this is one of those where... You know, like the Big Ten, almost like what if the Big Ten had done the thing the Pac-12 did? Because like, hey, we want to give our – they might be looking at – because I think Michigan would be in regardless, and then if Ohio State wins, they're both in, right? Like the, the Big Ten could have had that if they decided to do away. Instead, they're going to put a three-loss Purdue team in the conference championship game. I don't think that's something that the committee is going to think about. But I do, th- I do think in the end, I think there's an – argument for Ohio State against USC. And when the committee, it's the most important thing that the committee is going to talk about this week. Because as you said, they are setting themselves up for the final decision. And I think they're almost making the decision now. And the decision is, is USC already in? Or does USC have to win its way in? And if Ohio State's ahead of USC, then USC has to win its way in. And if USC is ahead of Ohio State, then I think USC is in regardless. I don't think, if you're an Ohio State fan saying, hey, but USC lost to Utah twice, and they're a two-loss team, and we're only a one-loss team, I think if USC is ahead of Ohio State this week, the committee's already made that decision. I don't think it's impossible. Nathan, if USC is ahead this week, and then USC loses, I think Ohio State fans could go to selection weekend and actually like root for the 59 to 10 Ohio state was like root for Utah to blow USC off the field and make USC look like, Oh my God, we can't put them in. They're a fraud. Like that's a different conversation, right? If it's another good solid game and USC doesn't, doesn't pull it out and they have two losses to this one single team, you know, I think there's like a a 3% chance that the committee then would reverse itself and say, no, you know what? Ohio state didn't even play, but we'll put them in. So I do think like, Tuesday night is almost the decider, I think, whether Ohio State has an opening or not. I think you're I think you're on it. Yeah, it's just it, it, it is hard for me to envision like because you are at the end of the day, if you think USC is should be number four this week 
and then you're going to bump them down because they lose to Utah in any way because it's a it's a second loss, right? Like, can you imagine like USC takes another one point loss to Utah, a game that they were forced to play because they kept winning, and that Ohio State didn't have to play because it lost. Like, and now you're going to bump them out. Like that does seem wrong. It, it seems wrong, and uh, it's why we need more than a 14 playoff. And I do think this this does go back a little bit, and everybody, you know, we realized it early in the season. You know, Notre Dame eight and four in the end um, is a is a pretty solid football team. That they have two of their losses to USC and Ohio State, and then two goofy losses to Stanford and Marshall. But they beat BYU, they beat Clemson, they beat North Carolina. Like Notre Dame's a real team, so that's when you know they're top twenty five team for sure. That that helps both those teams. I do think at times we underestimate Penn State and in the search for like, oh God, who's good? It's like Penn State is ten and two, and their two losses are to two of the top five teams in the country. And so, like, that's a good win on the road. Like it is. Like it, it in the world of like we're looking for we're looking for somebody with a pulse out there. This is a this is a program that has been very good in the playoff era. It has not made the playoff, but they have good players. They have a good coach. It is a tough place to play. And Ohio State took the field losing and then controlled the last nine minutes of that game and won. I, I do think sometimes, Nathan, from the inside, because Penn State has only once gotten over the top against a team like Ohio State, I think we can take Ohio- Penn State for granted. I'll be very curious. Like, I don't know if I have a handle exactly on like what the committee thinks of Penn State. But if if you think Oregon State or Washington or Oregon or Utah are good, it's like, I don't know. I think Penn State might be better than all of those teams, right? I mean, that the, I think the value of that Penn State victory for Ohio State, how the committee views it is a huge part because it's the best part of their resume right now. Yeah, and, and as I said when we were talking about the resumes, you said USC does not have anything like that going on the road and beating a team of Penn State's caliber. I have Penn State number six on my ballot this week. They were only 11th in the committee rankings last week, but that was behind Tennessee, behind Oregon, which just lost, behind Clemson, which just lost. So there's some room for Penn State to elevate a little bit and look even better for Ohio State. I, I think you're right. I think it's uh, it's clearly the best thing on Ohio State's resume. But again, you have to take in the totality of the resume, and I I think that is important, what they think of Penn State, where they place them this week, but also like getting a concept of how the committee looks at that win for Ohio State, because or, or for the, the the nature of the loss, I should say, for Ohio State. Like how much do how much importance do they put on those last seven minutes? Because uh, you're you're also talking about there's other playoff ramifications there. You're also talking about how much should it matter for Michigan's resume that it broke off those long touchdown runs in the last seven minutes. Because there's a case to be made as to who should be number one between Michigan and Georgia right now. Yeah, not not that it matters that much. I don't I don't. If Michigan was number one, I wonder. It won't matter to Ohio State. I, I wonder where Michigan would pick to go. Because we know Ohio State's second home is at the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, Michigan doesn't yep. have that yep. relationship with the Phoenix metropolitan area. So Atlanta is closer I, 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 to Ann Arbor than Phoenix is? Well, I think it's an easy choice. Uh, you, I think you take Atlanta if you're Michigan because I think you think Georgia, 
you want to make Georgia more vulnerable, right? Why would you want Georgia to play in its backyard for its game if it's going to be the number two team? I would send them out west. Yeah, so that will matter. Again, not that anybody listening to this podcast particularly cares about Michigan seeding. I do think in the end, it's the thing we've talked about, the fact that Wisconsin, who's a preseason respected team, goes 6-6 six and six and fires its coach. The fact that Iowa, Wisconsin and Iowa were the top two teams in our preseason poll in the West. And Ohio State had to play both of them. Wisconsin goes 6-6 six and six and Iowa goes 7-5. and five, And Ohio State's other crossover, Northwestern, goes 1-11. and 11. So the three crossover games with the West aren't helping Ohio State's resume at all. And then Michigan State goes 5-7. and seven, Maryland 7-5, and five, but that's not getting anybody excited. The rest of the schedule, like, when it when it comes to this, kind of kind of let down Ohio State in in the terms of like there's not another top twenty five team on their schedule from the Big Ten, and it's because there's no top twenty five teams in the West. It's not like they they played the wrong teams. It's like nobody was good, and then Michigan State also wasn't good, and the result is Ohio State's entire resume is basically Penn State, Notre Dame, and then you know hanging around with Michigan for three quarters and and that can be tough if nathan if we were talking if michigan state was nine and three and wisconsin was ten and two and ohio state had wins over those two teams i think ohio state's position right here would be significantly stronger even if the michigan game had gone the same way yeah i mean assuming the michigan state game michigan state i'm sorry didn't get to nine and three by also beating penn state or whatever there's some crossover i also think there's some it's possible that the wisconsin and iowa game Wisconsin and Iowa as teams may have a little bit more steam in that room with the committee than they do to us because they're going to look at various power rankings and things like you've been in that room you know that there's all these sheets that they go through and if you go deep in the numbers sometimes those teams get looked at in a different way than just what their pure record is but you're right like there were we thought there were preseason conversations about how tough this Ohio State schedule was going to be right and that 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 didn't happen like we were talking about how is this a is this like too tough of a schedule is it like exactly as tough a schedule as you want because you'll get all this credit but maybe these teams won't actually be that good but then it turned out they weren't that good and they also didn't beat him <laughs> they lost the teams they weren't supposed to lose to hence why purdue is uh, going down i-65 on this weekend so i you know you don't want to take too much away from the coaches poll and the ap poll but it is a significant gap in both of them uh in the ap poll ohio state has 1,313 points. USC has 1,382. So that's like everybody, every single one of the 63 voters voting Ohio State behind USC. Same thing in the coaches poll. Ohio State is 1,312. USC is 1,381. Would you expect that USC will be ahead of Ohio State in the committee rankings on Tuesday night? Are you fairly confident USC will be ahead? I'm less confident after we had this conversation. I think you made good points. But yes, I think that is where it will be. I think they will be there because I'm not sure, though, the committee. I mean, if because I think the committee also it, it leaves it open. If if Utah were to just pulverize USC, I, it leaves it open for the committee to still make that switch. And I think the thing we talked about, you know, and you know, we all picked Ohio State to win. You and Stephen and I all picked Ohio State to win. Ohio State was favored. We had had conversations. Well. If they just look like two of the four best teams in the country, there's a lot of other, they have a whole bunch of metrics in that room, but they're in the top four going in. They're both undefeated going in. And if they play the kind of game that makes you think they're two of the four best teams. And so, you know, if there's an opening, like they should both be in there. Did you think 
Ohio State looked like one of the four best teams? Like, did they make that kind of argument on Saturday? On Saturday, no. I think it's hard to say on Saturday. I mean, you scored three points in the second half at home. Yeah. That's that's really that, – that's a tough thing to say. I mean, unless you're playing some kind of a crazy – I mean, I guess, hey, Michigan the week before beat Illinois 19-17 or whatever. I mean, low-scoring games happen, but that's not the nature of that game. It, that you're, if you're talking about just the Saturday impression, just yesterday's impression, no. And I do think even like the way Michigan scored, like it was – broken plays by the Ohio State defense that let Michigan score. It yes. wasn't just like, oh, the the extreme skill of Michigan was so difficult to stop. It was like, well, they blew a coverage there and they blew a coverage there. And then offensively, you know, they Ohio State moved the ball, but it, they had some empty possessions and there were a bunch of like third downs and fourth, you know, mostly third downs where they just couldn't quite make the right play. And so, again, you know, if this had been a game where the game-winning field goal bounces off the upright, I mean, I think they're both in. But – it really what Ohio State did not dema- did not rise up and like in lo- in the loss demand to be respected. I don't think it means Ohio State's terrible. I think Ohio State's very good, but they did not demand respect with the way they lost, and that will matter. I think for those thirteen people, we've had a lot of discussions as it pertains to C.J. Stroud and the Heisman Trophy about this idea of like viral plays and like what kind of lives on. What plays from Saturday, because all the, the committee members supposedly watch all the games. So what plays from Saturday are going to be viral in that committee's mind as it goes into making that vote on Tuesday? Isn't it going to be Ohio State defensive backs futilely chasing Michigan players towards the end zone? Like that That's, that's what they're going to remember. That's what's going to be playing in their heads when they start ranking those teams on Tuesday. And then the defense, like right when you cue it up and Joel Klatt on the broadcast is saying the Ohio State defense has to get a stop (laughs) and Donovan Edwards gets through the hole and is gone. And it's like, okay, like they were at the have to get it really is. It's two. There's two conversations happening at the same time. And by far, the most important one is beat Michigan. But the second one is lose close enough to allow the committee to consider you and Obviously, Ohio State failed in the first on Saturday, but they also failed in the second. And so I don't think it means it's over, but you guys have to watch on Tuesday night. And I do think if USC is ahead of Ohio State, barring a 50-point Utah win in the Pac-12 championship game, I do think the playoff case for Ohio State is over, which would then send Ohio State back to the Rose Bowl, right? For uh, or, or not uh, necessarily? Well, unless... I mean, unless the fighting astronauts of Purdue were to pull a huge upset oh, wow. and Look beat at this. Michigan, it's yeah. Uh, well, we'll just have to. So have I don't know where they go after that podcast <laughs> Saturday night. What is Ohio State's bowl destination after Purdue? I wonder. I guess like are Ohio State fans rooting for Purdue just because it's like you root against Michigan? It's like my two favorite teams are Ohio State and whoever oh. plays Michigan. Go go Boilermakers on Saturday night, right? I would th- I would think so just from the Schadenfreude of the whole thing and the, and the rivalry, but also like, yeah, I mean, if, if you maybe you went to Pasadena last year and you're like, I don't need to do that two years in a row. Like, send send me somewhere else. And it potentially would be, I think. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, it could be Utah again. It might not be Utah though, because there was a two loss jam up there. It could be Washington, Michael Penix. That'd be interesting. Oregon's a pretty solid team. Yeah, you know. Plenty of time to figure that out. All right. When we come back, Luke Fickle is the new head coach 
of the Wisconsin Badgers. What do we think about that? And I did do a poll about Ryan Day, and we are going to reveal the results of that. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Reese and Nathan Baird. Uh, Luke Fickle, surprisingly. And then, like, out of nowhere, but then as soon as you start thinking about it, it's like, nope, that makes sense. Yeah. Luke Fickle hired as the head yeah. coach of the Wisconsin Badgers. Luke turned down Michigan State two years ago. But, Nathan, you're a great – like, why do you think this was – a job that Luke Fickle decided to take. And why do you think Wisconsin, who had Jim Leonard sitting there, uh, defensive coordinator, great player there, well-respected, had been the interim coach, you know, they were okay under him. They didn't set the world on fire. They lost a couple games they probably shouldn't have lost. Um, why do you think Luke took it? Luke took it, and why do you think they wanted him? There's a you and I are both West Wing fans. There's a West Wing line where Leo is like the grizzled old chief of staff at one point. I'm not gonna give the whole context of the scene, but he's like, "Now, how did I not see that coming?" And that is kind of how I felt when I saw the Pete Thamel tweet this morning. And I was like, "Oh, you know what? This makes just too much sense." And it's a guy with Big Ten um, roots, obviously, and more than that. Of all the places where Fickle could go now, even Ohio State, the current incarnation of Ohio State, like where, what like fits him and his personality, his essence. Like Wisconsin is a a defense first program, it is a program built on defense and running the ball, obviously, but it, with a with a strong defensive identity. That's what he is at his core. Um, it's. You know, it's it's small town Big Ten as opposed to what you could do in some other places. I I just think that there there's a lot of things here that make sense. And from the Wisconsin standpoint, I wrote about this a little bit, um, and you had pointed out like what how the the coaching talent in the Big Ten is piling up a little bit. Um, and you know, with USC and UCLA coming in, Michigan rising the way it has, Penn State as we just talked about hanging around as this like annual ten win thing like. You can't, you're not, when they go to no divisions, Wisconsin can't just limp its way into Indianapolis and lose there and pretend that like nine and four was something. It's that you, to be on, and because that gets you kind of on the national stage, even though you don't deserve it. Like you have to go earn it in a different way once they go without divisions. And I, I, I think it would have been, I understand like players love Jim Leonard and there was a lot of support there in the community for him. But I think that a good AD sees past that and looks for um, looks past the emotion and goes for a proven commodity. And Luke Fickle is a proven commodity. He's taken Cincinnati, um, which has been a fine program for a while, going back, you know, Brian Kelly and other people before that. But like taking Cincinnati and had them back-to-back top 10 seasons, including a playoff berth as a group of five. And you can get into how much they earned it compared to their schedule, whatever. They were there. They, I think they deserved it. And to have done that with the foundation you have at Cincinnati and now to be able to go to Wisconsin and the foundation that you have there. Um, we could, I guess, debate Wisconsin versus Michigan State. I think Wisconsin's a clearly better football foundation than Michigan State. Um, and, and what you could do there long term, my opinion. So I don't know. I think it, it's a it's a good marriage of a guy waiting for the right opportunity and um, a a school 
that knows what it probably could be if it makes the right decision and and taking this shot. So I do think it's a smart move by Wisconsin. Barry Alvarez is not the athletic director anymore, but you assume Barry Alvarez is very much involved in these kinds of decisions. Uh, I think it's a good big picture look. Culturally, it is the right fit. I do think, Luke, it's a little different. Like As exciting as it is for Cincinnati to be joining a Power 5 conference, is Luke Fickle a Big 12 coach? Right. Is Luke Fickle a guy that's like, hey, my world world is now TCU and Baylor and Texas Tech and Houston and UCF and BYU, and there's nothing wrong with that. But is that Luke Fickle? Or is Luke Fickle Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State and Penn State and Nebraska and Iowa and Minnesota – and that's who you're going to be competing against and playing. And so when you take a job, you go to the American, you go to the other, the second best program in the state of Ohio. We know how much the, the family part of this has mattered to Luke. He, he had coached in the state of Ohio, I think, every every year but one year his entire career. And again, I obviously I sat down his last year at Ohio State with, with Luke and his wife Amy in their home and talked about his aspirations to be a head coach. And the family consideration was a huge, huge, huge part of this. And they had young kids. The kids are a little bit older now. They really didn't want to be too far from the aunts and uncles and the cousins and the grandparents. But at some point, you know, all those millions of dollars can buy some private plane flights. And if you're not going to be the head coach at Ohio State and you're not going to be the head coach at Cincinnati, you can't be a head coach in the state of Ohio. So then what's close enough, right? And I did read uh, a story in The Athletic today, and Amy went to Madison a couple weeks ago to check it out. All right, we're going to make a life here now. So, like, that's really important. So, obviously, it passed that test. The Fickles can live here. The Fickles and their big family can be happy here. It's far away, but it's not too far away. And then from a competitive standpoint, I do think Luke, even though we're going to get away from divisions, I do think Luke maybe is just slightly more comfortable being in the Big Ten without being quite as head-to-head with Ohio State. And even... You know, they're going to, but still, there's still going to be like a little kind of east west flavor, I think, to the Big Ten, even if there's not divisions. And Wisconsin's just far enough away. Michigan, he would never do. Michigan State might have been too close. Penn State might be too close, but also it's what's open now. And Nebraska and Wisconsin are open now. And Cincinnati is going to the Big 12 now. And also in reading that athletic story, you know, NIL stuff, they felt like they were losing some recruits to NIL. It's like you've maxed out, absolutely maxed out what Cincinnati can be, right? I mean, what's Cincinnati going to do? Win a national title? All right, then you made the playoff. That's the next best thing. So the time is right, I think, personally and professionally for him. And Wisconsin's one of the five best jobs in the league, and it's open. So, yeah, like how was everybody not talking about this before? Because I do think it makes sense in the end in many ways, of why he would turn down Michigan State two years ago but take Wisconsin now. So I think it's a really good hire. And then, like, I, I, I will ask this because we, we did – I sent this out to the Texers, and we got some really good response, and we're going to sprinkle this in. What is your reaction to Luke Fickle becoming Wisconsin's head coach? These were the choices that I gave the Texers. I wish he was Ohio State's head coach instead. So that's like, oh, God. I don't care that much. I'm focused on the Buckeyes. That's like, whatever. Like, he played here. He was a coach here. We love Luke. He was the interim head coach, but, like, it's it's kind of gone. I'm worried Luke will be very good there and make Ohio State's life more difficult, which is like, okay, he's a good coach. That's another good coach in the Big Ten. That's not great. Plus, he's got the Ohio ties. Oh, my gosh. Or, good for Luke. Best of luck. Not a huge effect on, on Ohio State. Like, they support this guy. Great 
opportunity for him, but you know, like Ohio State's going to be Ohio State. Um, Nathan, what do you think won the texture poll? Um, I think they, boy, after this weekend, it might, <laughs> there might have been more support for him to be Ohio State's coach. But I think just the one that um, not having him be um, up Ohio State's back. Yeah. I can't remember so how you worded it. People are very, people are chill. People are actually pretty darn chill. And this coaching poll that we did, and we're going to get to the other results, they're pretty chill. Good for Luke. Best of luck. Not a huge effect on Ohio State. 56%. I'm worried Luke will be very good and make Ohio State's life more difficult. 27%. I wish he was Ohio State's head coach instead. 9%. I don't care. I'm focused on the Buckeyes. 8%. So more than half, like, hey, good for him. Cool. Like, good for Luke, which is... Again, this is at the most volatile moment for the Ohio State football program in a very, very long time. And the former defensive coordinator, defensive tackle, interim head coach just took another Big Ten job. And more than half the people are like, good for Luke. So I think that's that's a good, healthy response. I do think, Nathan, we are seeing this. In the tweet that I sent out, when, when USC and UCLA get here in 2024... We are now going to have five of the 16 head coaches in the Big Ten who have coached in either the playoff or the national championship game, which will be Chip Kelly at UCLA, Lincoln Riley at USC, Ryan Day at Ohio State, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, and Luke Fickle at Wisconsin. And then I think there's five other coaches, right? James Franklin at Penn State, Mel Tucker at Michigan State, um, Matt Rule at Nebraska, Brett Bielema at Illinois, Kirk Ferentz at Iowa, and P.J. Fleck at Minnesota. Again, that's six more. And it's like not at their current schools. P.J. Fleck did it at Western Michigan. Matt Rule did it at Baylor, right? It's not, but Brett Bielema did it at Wisconsin, but who have coached at in a New Year's Six Bowl. And maybe it was before they were called New Year's Six Bowls, before the playoff era, right? But, you know, Kirk right, So right. that's the that's 11 of the 16 head coaches who have taken their team to the top or virtually the top of college football. And so this is the constant discussion we have about Ohio State. You want the league to be good, but not too good. I actually think like the version right now for Ohio State is the worst of both worlds, that you have an an opponent in Michigan who is good enough to beat you, but the rest of the league is not good enough to prop up your resume for you to get in at 11-1. and This is like the worst version of a competitive league that you would want. You're better off with like, hey, let's get get some good wins in addition to the tough loss. But – are we looking at a pretty darn good league here, Nathan? When you think about those are going to be the 11 of the 16 head coaches. I always like Pat Fitzgerald. A lot of people are souring on old Pat after 1 and 11. Mike Loxley, I think, is a pretty good coach, especially at Maryland. Greg Schiano, I think, is a pretty good coach, especially at Rutgers. Jeff Brom, I think, is a pretty good coach, especially at Purdue. They're in the Big Ten championship game right now. And I think like the only place where you might look right now, and they did just make two changes, Matt Rule and Luke Fickle are new. I think the only place you'd look and be like, nope, is Indiana. And the rest of the places, like I think, Ooh. even as bad as Pat Fitzgerald has been, it's like, well, he's still he's had success. Yeah, and, and Indiana in 2020 was a top 10 team, which it's context, everything, I understand. But not everybody did that. Like, they went and did it. So like, I, I was going to finish that list if you hadn't done it, where it was going to leave, like, if you took into account the one took into account Allen, the top ten, Fitzgerald and Brom going to championship games, Fitzgerald leading Ohio State at halftime of a Big Ten championship game, and then that was going to leave just Loxley, who's arguably doing as good a job as a lot of people in the Big Ten with what he's doing at Maryland right now, and Shiano, who's like, who else could Rutgers ever get? We've had that discussion a million times. It's 
I, I do. So it's a great point to make about this. I do think, though, um, as we've seen, like, do you then? Okay, so that's great. It'll be a very like potentially incestuous conference at that point, or not incestuous, but cannibalistic conference where you're just beating everybody, uh, eating each other. But like, do you? Are, does somebody in that conference? start doing what Michigan has done now, which is producing skill position talent and, and, and putting a defensive foundation and combining those in such a way that you can actually be something on a national level, the way Ohio state can, um, the way that Penn state like hints that it can, but doesn't yet, you really ever quite get there. And certainly the way nobody in the West gets there. So it, I, the standards are about to be raised just because I think, I think what Lincoln Riley has shown in one year at USC is that something's going on there. Um, I, I we'll talk about Matt Rule and how confident I am of that, well, like being ahead. everything. But well, I just we I, can talk there, about Matt Rule reason. and everyone. Yeah, I, I have more reason. I think I'm more skeptical about Matt Rule than I am about Luke Fickle, both because of the destination and and where they are, and then also like Matt Rule had had like two good years at Temple, so you won like ten games in the American. You had to beat like one other like bad ranked team per year to get those ten wins, and then. Went from one and eleven to an eleven win season at Baylor, and then went to the NFL and failed. So, I, I just I wish the track record of of winning at real places was longer for him. But I think it was a good swing and a big deal for Nebraska to land him, as opposed to having to promote its interim guy or go with someone who was even more of a retread. You know, all those all those agent names to get thrown out there, like Bill O'Brien's been on the the first list of every job that's open out there, et cetera. Like I, I just I, I I guess maybe I'm a little bit more intrigued by Matt Rule just because of his age. And maybe there's actually because Nebraska used to be a Big Twelve, like maybe there's a little bit more of a connection with how you know Matt maybe going to get someone like Matt Rule who succeeded at Baylor gives you a different foundation that can help at Nebraska, if that makes sense. I, I can buy that. Uh, but the fickle thing at Wisconsin is the one that I think could be a real home run. Uh, but regardless of any of that, it's just the, the, the competition to be this, this thing that's happening right now with Ohio state and Michigan extends beyond that because Ohio state is chasing Michigan now in a way that it hasn't in a generation. And it's about to have a lot more people um, joining that chase. It's about to become a, not to, not to, it's about to become like a game of Thrones thing. You got like, the, the the kingdoms and whatever not we've already done king of the north so but it, it's about to get um it's about to get intense and it is interesting that the way luke fickle wants to win football games would be exactly the way michigan is winning football games right now right i mean that's like um, we know he's the defense first guy and again sitting with luke when you have like you know we had the, the discussion about what your vision for a program is like he wants a dual threat quarterback and so you know Luke Fickle would take J.J. McCarthy in a second. I think would run him even more than Michigan runs him, right? I think, you know, Luke Fickle, Luke Fickle wants J.T. Barrett, right? Like that's that's who Luke Fickle wants to try to get to come be the the quarterback at Wisconsin. So, um, I'll be, I th- I think he'll succeed there certainly to some to some degree, and and it could be really really good. But this is what happens, right? There's been, um, you could see the West was getting stale, and I do think. Matt Rule, Luke Fickle, and Brett Bielema, they're not fresh. They're not. They're, and they're all, I mean, it's like line those three guys up 
And they're either the captains of bowling teams or they're head football coaches, right? I mean, it's okay. I guess maybe Luke and Luke Fickle and Brett Bielema might be like the before. Bielema's the before and Fickle's the after of like, you know, weight loss program. But again, it's like they're kind of. Uh, I thought you were going to say it the other way. They're, they're probably, well, yeah. Um, I thought like Fickle was probably before and Bielema like, was after the Thanksgiving dinner. With the, after the, yeah, after you celebrate your bowling league title. They all probably wear like size eight hats, right? Big heads, big cinder block heads of football. Like they're just like Midwest football coaches, like, which is, which is fine. It's not particularly original, right? It's like, hey, Illinois, who'd you hire? It's like, oh, we, uh, we had that guy used to, used to, used to be the Wisconsin coach. Oh, cool. Hey, Wisconsin, who'd you hire? Oh, we hired that guy used to coach at Cincinnati, Ohio State. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Well, cool. Original. Hey, who, I mean, everybody in the world, the minute Scott Frost got fired and Matt Rule was stinking again in Carolina, everybody was like, it's Matt Rule. And it was like, yep, every single person was right. It was Matt Rule. So they aren't particularly original, but they are guys who have won. And so sometimes, I mean, like often I am very much in favor of giving a smart new person a chance, right? Somebody from off the radar, somebody from not in the old boys network. I am very much in favor of giving people like that a chance. And sometimes they can really hit, right? But there is a little bit more of a risk. And sometimes if you're a decision maker, you have to take some risks. There is not much risk in Bielema or Fickle or Rule, there is a lot of upside potentially. So like you understand why they went there. Um, certainly I think Jim Leonard would have made a lot of sense, but this is a, this is a, and it's not even particularly bold. It's just like, this is just like a, a professional kind of like by the book decision by Wisconsin of like, Nope, we're not just taking the guy in house. We're taking the, we're taking the guy who's been to the playoff. So uh, I, I do think this league, this league, again, you look back five, eight, ten years, this league has come a long way with uh, the quality of its head coaches. And that is Big Ten Network and TV money at work. Why do you want all this money? What are you going to spend it on? Well, you're going to spend it on guys that you think have a better chance to win football games. So that will make life a little more difficult for Ohio State, Nathan. But as we get toward a 12-team playoff, a league with coaches like that, that feels to me like a league that's going to have a pretty good chance every year to get three teams in the playoff and maybe four every now and then. Could I mean, with those people, you tell me, could some from the group of USC, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, as sort of like the five primary programs, right? And then maybe Michigan State rises up, maybe UCLA rises up, maybe, right, Nebraska gets it back, or Illinois. Could you find three or four playoff teams more often than not from that group? That sounds quite possible to me. I mean, as of the last playoff rankings, you had Ohio State, Michigan, USC, Penn State, and UCLA all in the top 18. Yeah. And they'll all be and, at, no worse than that. So it's like it, it's – it's. And if, there was a, if there's a 12-team yeah, I mean, playoff right now, USC, USC, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State would be in. In a 12-team playoff right now, no doubt about it. Yeah. Now, obviously, the USC – schedule would have been completely different blah 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 but yeah yeah it's it's so again it's just it's further that's what i was writing about but like there's something coming here that that the big 10 is is like getting bolstered here by both the talent coming in and the talent it's bringing in to lead these programs i just fickle especially to me was just maybe because it was the one that wasn't telegraphed 
because we it sounded like it was going to be Leonard. Like everything I was hearing and reading, it didn't seem like it was Leonard. Like it could be like imminent. And then this dropped this morning, and I had not really heard Fickle uh, really rumored out there. Yeah, and by the way, the interim head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats is Kerry Combs, <laughs> and um, I think there is something quite appropriate about that. And to be honest, I sent, I sent Carrie a message about that because this is a guy who was a legendary high school head coach in Cincinnati. He made the jump from the high school ranks to the college ranks because it was at Cincinnati. He probably would maybe have never made that jump otherwise because he, he didn't want to leave. Cincinnati's his home. He then gets the opportunity because one of Urban Meyer's original hires backs out within like a month. So then he goes to Kerry Combs. Kerry Combs joins Ohio State. He becomes an absolutely integral part to what Ohio State does in recruiting, what they do defensively, the culture, the attitude, the joy, the ferocity of the program. Kerry Combs is a driving force in that. That leads to an NFL opportunity with his good friend Mike Rabel, who he met at Ohio State. He comes back. And he hits the wall at the point where that's not the right thing for him. That's the job that he's not going to be good at, to be the defensive coordinator at Ohio State. Every other job he had done, high school head coach, assistant coach at Cincinnati, position coach at Ohio State, position coach in the NFL, he was impactful and positive and a developmental guy and a teacher and a friend and a, a backbone to his players. He did it right. And then he got here and it wasn't right. And so what happens? He goes back to Cincinnati. He goes back to his home. He's there with Luke for a year. And now he's going to be a candidate for the head coaching job. Do I think he'll get it? I would be surprised probably. Would I consider him if I was the AD? I certainly would consider him. He has never been a head coach before. And I do think there's a, a very reasonable thing where, from what we've seen, I think Kerry Combs probably is more qualified to be a head coach in college than he is to be a defensive coordinator. So be a head coach, be a culture guy, hire good people, be a leader, do all those things, which I think he is, and then have someone run your offense and someone run your defense. And you you had you give ideas, you give suggestions, you give support to your coordinators, but you're not calling plays every day. I think he's more equipped for that. Will he get it? I don't know, but at least for now, in this little moment, right? He's going to coach a bowl game. He's going to have a moment where Kerry Combs gets to be the head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats, and as as wrong as it went in the end here. And I think he would, I don't think he would dispute the fact that he didn't get the job done here, especially last year. Um, this feels right to me. So congratulations to Kerry Combs. And I don't think Nathan, I don't, were, were Ohio state fans upset with the play of the defense a year ago? Absolutely. I don't think people wish ill on Kerry Combs. Cause this guy was a great Buckeye for a long time who made a great contribution to Ohio state winning and and I just like this little window of a moment for Kerry Combs, and sometimes things like that happen to good people, and I think Kerry, Kerry Combs is a good person. Yeah, I hope people who rightly have a sour taste in their mouth for what happened with that defense last year can set that aside and appreciate everything you just said, that this is a guy who's genuine and a guy who loves football, loves Ohio State football too, even though that wasn't like his – uh, you know, he is a Cincinnati guy and it had spent time in Cincinnati before coming to Ohio State. So, like, recognize what this opportunity, this moment 
means for him and what this next month means for him. I've been around the situations where there are coaching changes you have to, and that can be sometimes a tumultuous uh, turnover, but it's good to have a guy in place who everyone will rally around. Even though he's only been there a year um, most recently, I, I have a feeling that that's a team that would rally around him in the short term. It's it's a little reminiscent of when Larry Johnson was yes, the coach was for a week, yep. right? When Ryan Day had COVID and he coached against Michigan State. And just for three and a half hours, right, for a moment, that was Larry Johnson's team. And Larry Johnson and Kerry Combs, I think, are very similar, right? I th- As recruiters, as teachers, as relationship guys, as developers of talent. I, they are two absolutely. Everybody would say the same thing. They're two of the best position coaches I think we've seen in college football in recent times. They're absolutely. They might be the top two. They might be the two best position coaches that I've covered at Ohio State in 18 years. And should they have gotten head coaching opportunities? Quite possibly, they didn't. But everybody, I think, really appreciated when Larry Johnson had that moment in the COVID season. Like for a day, Larry Johnson had that moment. Larry Johnson got to stand up as the head coach of a football team and have a new experience in his life. And so for Kerry Combs to have that kind of opportunity and that kind of experience, I think it's a good thing. Kerry Combs, good person. Larry Johnson, good person. It's nice when good things happen to good people. Let's do this survey because we have to do it quickly. And I just wanted to take the temperature. So I asked four questions. I already gave you the answer to one about what people thought about Look Fickle. The other three were about Ryan Day. One of them, Nathan, was about the discussion we had about the coaches in the Big Ten starting in 2024. I only gave them nine names, but I gave them these nine. I gave them Brett Bielema, Matt Rule, Chip Kelly, James Franklin, Luke Fickle, Mel Tucker, Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day, and Jim Harbaugh. And this was a rank question. This is more like homework, but people do it. I said, rank them in order. Rank these head coaches from best to worst because they all could be in the Big Ten starting in 2024. There were three that were clearly at the top and very close to each other, Nathan. Then there was a drop-off to one guy. Then there was another drop-off to four more guys. Then there was one guy clearly at the bottom. Nine people I gave them. Who do you think were the clear top three? Do you need me to run through the names again, or do you have it? No, I've got it. I've got it in front of me. Um, I think Lincoln Riley would have to be one of the three. Correct. I think maybe Ryan Day. Ryan Day would be one of the three. Correct. Still. Yes. And I'm just trying to like I know who else I I would have. I don't know. It's how much is how much recency bias is there, and how much do you hate Jim Harbaugh? It's either Harbaugh or Kelly would be my next one. So who do you think it is? I think it's I think it's Harbaugh. It's Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh has earned the respect of the Buckeye Talk Texters. Lincoln Riley is one. Two point two one for Lincoln Riley. Two point four one for Jim Harbaugh, he's second. Two point seven two for Ryan Day, he's third. Then a drop-off to Luke Fickle, fourth at 4.37. Then another drop-off to four guys in the sixes that are basically the same. Chip Kelly, James Franklin, Brett Bielema, Matt Rule, then Mel Tucker last. Uh, I just wanted to get a temperature, Nathan. So I do think, and you and I had this discussion, I think, last week. It's like Ryan Day had never been a head coach before Ohio State. And I got confused. Maybe Shahan and I had the discussion. Jim Harbaugh coached in the Super Bowl. 
Like Jim Harbaugh had a we little bit that. had a little bit of a goofy time at the beginning against Ohio State, and he started 0-5 against Ohio State. But he was started winning games at Michigan pretty quickly for a program that hadn't been winning games. He was really good at Stanford. He was good at San Diego before that. And he was in a stinking Super Bowl. Like the guy is has a a rare personality. And I think he came in talking the talk because I don't know that he was sure his program could walk the walk. And I do think it's it's like one of those, you look back and like now someone's having success. And it's like, I remember when they were nuts. Ah, they were just playing chess and we're all playing checkers. I'm not going to say that taking your shirt off and climbing a tree or whatever else he was doing was playing chess, but he's not doing that anymore. He's coaching football now. And I think this is a well-coached football team, which I've said for two years. So I do appreciate the fact that Buckeye Talk Tech subscribers can say Jim Harbaugh is a good head coach. Do you think that is the right top three, Nathan? Riley, Harbaugh, and Day in some order. I think so. Um, I would have put Chip Kelly higher than they did. I know that obviously things didn't go well for him in the NFL, but he's he's repaired things at UCLA, which is not necessarily the easiest place to get something going. And what he did at Oregon, I mean, you could argue he should go above Ryan Day because what he did at Oregon was much more organic than what Ryan Day has done success-wise at Ohio State. I'm not I'm not taking away the success Ryan Day has had. I think it's very hard to win 90% of your games even under any circumstances over this you know, five, 19, 20, 20, 20, four year period of time. But I, I think that, that maybe the, the NFL stuff has soured people a little too much on Chip Kelly in, in college. It's been pretty consistent and at its height was as good as anything. Anybody on this list has done, except maybe I think, so who would you have number one? So I think my number one might be Harbaugh. Yeah, it's hard because like Lincoln Riley does it in a very specific way, and like the way he does it can get you so far, but you understand why it doesn't get him over the top because the defense is just lacking. And so can he be more than that? And you don't want to take that for granted because four playoff appearances at Oklahoma is quite quite something. But and on the verge of another, at another yeah. place. And, and that's the thing. It's like, it's funny. We, you know, we talk a lot about the four teams that have dominated the playoff. He's a little like LeBron now. It's like, well, it was like LeBron James had made whatever it was, eight straight Eastern Conference finals. It's like, well, it was in Cleveland. Then it was in Miami. Then it was in Cleveland again. So it's like Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma took four of the first eight, took four playoff spots in the first eight years. And it's like, oh, well, now... Do you count Oklahoma playoff spots or do you count Lincoln Riley playoff spots? Because he just, you know, he's going to, it's like, oh, all these new teams are making. It's like, well, is it a new team? It's just like that old team right. transferred. So I I don't know. Harbaugh, um, Harbaugh had a long enough time at Michigan where you're like, oh, I don't know. And now he's clearly figured something out that I think I would go Lincoln Riley. Uh, but usually in preseason, every time everybody does, he's in the offseason, including us. There's always a Lincoln Riley Ryan Day discussion because you lump them together. Because Gene Smith was like cited it. He's like, I think this is this is our Lincoln Riley. But Ryan Day got to a national championship game, which Lincoln Riley has never done, right? So it's like, oh, Ryan Day. Right. But but also like Lincoln Riley hasn't quite had a thing. And also Lincoln Riley tanked his last year at Oklahoma and bombed out with like two excellent quarterbacks that he couldn't figure out how to do that. So um, it's easy. 
to forget last year, but Ryan Day's never had a year like Lincoln Riley did at Oklahoma last year. But a ton of credit to Lincoln Riley for figuring it out at USC right away. So I think I'd put Lincoln Riley first, Harbaugh second, Day third right now. It's hard right now when you add in that Harbaugh has a Super Bowl appearance to put Ryan Day ahead of Jim Harbaugh. Like I, I don't. Ryan Day, I think, is, remains a very good college football coach. Um, I don't, I don't know what the case would be. I, I don't think right you now. Can. Like, does does Ryan Day getting to the national championship game in his second year trump? I know we're crossing over here, but does that trump Harbaugh getting to a Super Bowl? Like, if we're talking about totality of of coaching accomplishment, I think I think I lean Super Bowl there. Yeah. And then it's much harder to do. And it's sort of like, however you do it, but it's like if you had to pick a guy to coach a game tomorrow, right? Like that kind of thing, I think is, I think you'd have to go Harbaugh. All right. Two more things. We're, I keep dancing around what we're really getting. That's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. And it depends like, well, what's your personnel? Who's your opponent? What's the weather? Is it indoors? Is it outdoors? Like how good your quarterback? It doesn't, doesn't this past weekend change how much you feel one way or the other in that discussion? And again, it has to. It's, I mean, it's complicated that it was like, uh oh, Michigan's going to run over Ohio State. And it's like, nope, Ohio State was thrown all over by Michigan. Like, that's just a different thing. That remains Mm -hmm. an interesting part of this calculus. And again, that Ohio State had trouble running the ball all year, but they didn't lose because they couldn't run. Like, it's like, what, what happened? They just, they just lost a foot. They just lost. It wasn't like a particular contrast or a particular matchup that doomed Ohio State. It was like, Michigan just beat them. You know, so yeah, I, I don't know how you would get to Ryan Day ahead of Jim Harbaugh right now. All right, this is the money question. If this decision was up to you, would you fire Ryan Day right now? I wanted to take the temperature because the only other way that you get any vibe on this is reading texts or reading tweets. And Nathan, people are just less likely to text. Ryan Day should remain the head coach. <laughs> right. Keep Ryan Day in all caps. He pounded out in anger. Keep Ryan Day. Have a little patience. It's just two games, right? That's not a thing that you would bang out in a text or a tweet. So you have to try to give the people who aren't banging out a text or a tweet, which is a completely understandable thing to do. And we will read all those texts. We get it. But you have to try to reach the people who also care. And this is, again, why we like the texters. Loyal, dedicated, educated. If you don't care about Ohio State in a major way, you're not subscribing to the texts. And, I mean, like, this is like because you want more information about it. Like, you love this team so much, you want more. So you know what's up, and you care about them. So this is a very good group. You guys are a focus group. Nathan, what do you think the results were? Would you fire Ryan Day right now? The only choices are yes and no. What percent yes? What percent no? I think it. I mean, you didn't send this until what this afternoon, mid late afternoon. Yes, I gave. Might have been different if you time sent it to Saturday at four. And, and that's why I didn't send it. I, I wanted to give people no, time to decompress. Yes. I I'm what like twelve percent yes. Look at you. That's ex- ten. That's, ten twelve. Twelve is exactly right. Twelve percent yes. Eighty-eight percent no. That I think is a good sign. And I think you can go, if you're, you know, people listening to this, you can tell your friends this. You can tell your family this because I think the 12% are kind of loud right now. And so if you're having a discussion on Monday 
with your friends and your family and your coworkers and people you see in the world, and someone says, oh, man, they got to hire Ryan Day, you can say, well, they did a tech survey of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of loyal, dedicated, educated Ohio State fans, and only 12% said they'd fire him right now. So, like, that matters. So I wanted – that's helpful to us, Nathan, to try to get a read because we are here to serve – and reflect and attempt to guide and educate and inform fans. And it helps us to know that it's 88 to 12 right now. Here's a question that I think the 12% should ask themselves. And I'm not condescending. I I understand the um, emotion that's here. I understand why you care about this rivalry the way you do. But ask yourself if you think, and maybe the answer is yes. But like, do you think Ryan Day can't beat? Michigan, or you think he is not beating Michigan? And because I, I think that's an important distinction, because the guy we were just talking about, Jim Harbaugh, go back th- three years, it seemed like he couldn't beat Ohio State. It seemed like the rivalry was broken, that Ohio State had just fractured Michigan, and it was like over. And we were talking about we had didn't we? We had discussions. When will the next time? be that Michigan beats Ohio State, and we certainly weren't picking 2021 or even 2022. It was like farther down the line like that we thought Michigan might have a chance to beat Ohio State. So just remember that, that people thought that this Jim Harbaugh thing was like a like borderline a joke, that he had to go, and right now he's about to take a team to the playoff for the second year in a row, and they are clearly – they are the standard bearer for Big Ten football right now. Um, and it happened that quickly. So it could flip back just that quickly. So here's the last question. And this is different to me than would you fire Ryan Day? Because this is like creating an imaginary world with some reasonable parameters. If you could snap your fingers and make anyone reasonable, no Nick Saban or Bill Belichick, the head coach of Ohio State with no fuss, who would you choose? So this is different than I have to fire somebody to then bring in somebody. It's like you just tomorrow... You snap your fingers, and this person's the head coach. Thanos. If Thanos cared about college football. So I gave Ryan Day, Luke Fickle, and Urban Meyer as choices. And then I also said other. Now, I didn't ask for who your other would be, but your other is, I wouldn't want either of those three, but like I, I would have somebody in mind. Like, I think we can do, because that's like a not Ryan Day vote, right? I would not pick Ryan Day. But I also wouldn't pick the guy who it just was. And I also wouldn't pick the guy who was the interim coach before that. I would pick somebody new. There's somebody out there that they could get that I think would be better than any of those options. Which the, And the three options are the last three guys who were the head coach here, right? In that vote, Nathan, who do you think won? Fickle, Meyer, Day, or other? In this vote, I think Ryan Day won. He did win. What do you think his percent was? Uh... Uh, 57%. That's pretty good. 47%. So less than half for Ryan Day if you could mm-hmm. magically snap your fingers. Urban Meyer, 25 mm-hmm. for Urban Meyer. Other, 15%. Luke Fickle, 13%. So, you know, it, it, I do think this is people taking sort of like the per- – like, listen, you can't you – can't, like, on behalf of your program, for the health of your program, you just can't go around firing guys who are whatever they are. What's Ryan Day's fifty four and five or something? Like you just, it's not good for Ohio State football for that to happen. But like in a world where like, no, well, you could just kind of make it happen. 
he's under 50%. And what do you think of the tw- of the quarter of the people who would say, you know what, let's go back to Urban. Well, 45 and 5 for Ryan Day as a head coach, by the way. So, again, you have a better perspective than me on this. But I can remember in 2019 getting here and there being this, especially because Ohio State started winning that year and obviously goes 12-0 and goes to the playoff. And one of the things that a certain part of this fan base started to believe was that things had been too intense under Urban Meyer, that this the program was just wound so tight and everybody associated with the program was wound so tight that that's why you lose at Iowa. That's why you lose at Purdue. Like there's a break that happens at like a mental break and you just lose it. And it was costing this program tangible things. And that Ryan Day came in with not a lax attitude, but a more relaxed attitude, not as not as tightly wound. And that that allowed these guys, this modern player, to go out and, and fulfill their potential. And then now, two, two losses to Michigan, I'm seeing a lot of, Ryan Day has got them letting them be too lax. They need to bring in somebody else that's like a hard ass that'll be super intense and get this thing back on track. And some of that, I think, is a little bit knee jerk. It's you're you're reacting to what happened here in back to back seasons. I understand it, but I I don't think our Urban Meyer is the answer um, at Ohio State, and maybe not the answer at any college football program anymore. That's. I guess I'm getting into some editorializing there, but uh, I wouldn't. I don't. I, I. I. wouldn't want him at Ohio State if I were an Ohio State fan. I will say I had a friend uh, text me today. Um, do you happen to know Nathan, uh, the school uh, that Urban Meyer ho- holds a college degree from? Cincinnati. It is the University of Cincinnati, which just so happens to have a head coaching <laughs> opening. So I said, Corey Dennis is OC, mm. Nate Meyer is quarterback's coach. Let's roll. So, mm. um, and listen, you've already won. You've already dominated the SEC. You've already dominated the Big Ten. Why not go out to the Big Twelve? It's it's lining up for you. You can go n- n- new frontier. So you know, it's just the kind of things that friends text each other, just joking around. But there has been this kind of thing of uh, head coaches being hired by their hey, own modders. I- I, I it wouldn't I guess like blow me away. Cincinnati's a good job. Cincinnati's a really good job. It's why I think Kerry Combs probably wouldn't be the guy. I think they can get somebody impressive. So anyway, we're not predicting anything, but just pointing out facts of people where people went to college. I do think in the end there's something along the lines, something to a version of Urban Meyer in the sheets and Ryan Day in the streets kind of thing, of like. I think you well, you might want Ryan Day fifty one weeks a year and Urban Meyer Michigan week, like that, like right that you want like for the health and well being and culture and because I do think there's I don't think there's any doubt and we realize this Urban's wound tight and his programs wound tight and I do think when you wind it so tight sometimes you snap against Iowa and Purdue and Michigan State and moments like that. But then the week where you want to, you want like that fire, you don't have to go looking for it. Michigan week, you don't have to look for it. It's there. And Ryan Day, I do think, and then now, and you have to at least question it. 
is that fire. It doesn't mean he doesn't understand it, but I just think culturally, personality-wise, you see it. And 51 weeks out of the year, you're happy with it. No, this guy, it doesn't mean they don't fight. It doesn't mean they don't work hard. It doesn't mean they don't care. But I think anyone with any understanding, and I think everybody listening to this podcast has the understanding, there's a difference between Urban Meyer and Ryan Day. And people embrace that when Urban left and Ryan took over. Like almost everybody did. And so now you understand the instinct to, to for 25% of the people to want to go back to that. But but again, I, I don't know that that's like the answer for 52 weeks out of the year. It's how could how could anybody replicate a version of Urban Meyer? Now, the thing is that's hard is like Tress, honestly, is I think Tress might have been like Ryan Day 51 weeks a year and Urban Meyer the other one. I mean, he he really might have. Now, he punted a lot. I I covered a lot of Jim Trussell stuff where people were frustrated with his offense, and they would have if you could have told somebody in 2007 what the Ohio State offense would be like under Ryan Day, people would have been like, "Can we please accelerate into the future right now? This sounds beautiful. I can't wait until we get there. I'm sick of special teams and defense and and win 20 to to 13." So, right, and Luke Fickle, like, people, if you want Luke now, like, remember the whole thing, like, with the pizza delivery driver, and it's like, Luke Fickle couldn't get a pizza delivered without people giving his family a hard time? Like, it is, like, people wanted Luke gone as defensive coordinator because they weren't happy. So, like, everybody, this, every fan base, there are times when you can want somebody, and then as soon as they fail, you don't want them, and then as soon as they're gone and somebody else is here, you want them back. Also might apply to relationships in life, right? So, we just have to have that understanding of sometimes you get mad at the people in charge, and sometimes the, the people in charge aren't doing a very good job. It doesn't mean that everybody needs to be fired tomorrow. So we just wanted to take the temperature, and the temperature of the loyal, educated, dedicated text followers is 88% no, 12% yes. When we come back... I know we're getting long. I kind of say one thing real talk. quick. I just... I, <laughs> uh, I, I understand why... The importance of the game is different and why the meaning of the game is different and why winning the game is different than winning other games. But I think once the kickoff happens, I think the football is still the football and the Ryan Day approach still uh, blew Clemson back to the Stone Age in the playoff semifinal in 2020. And it still found a way to come back and have that great finish at Penn State. Um, which I agree with you is maybe an, an overlooked uh, moment of this season. And it found a way to do what they did in the Rose Bowl last year. Like I just, I, 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 I can't get there yet that, that the football that's being played in that game is so different that Ryan Day needs to change everything about himself for this one week. I, I think it's more, um, I think it's more subtle than that. I think it's just the, they didn't have the football right for either of these matchups and that's what they've got to fix more and, more than what you're talking about and we have this will be the primary discussion point of buckeye talk and every other place that writes and talks about ohio state football yeah. <laughs> until ohio state and michigan play again because i do think nathan these next 365 days are going to be different than the last 365 because you could take last year as a blip and it's not a blip now, it doesn't mean that Michigan's going to win the next 10 in a row, but it's not a blip. It's not a one-time thing. 
and and even the attitude of Ohio State of sort of like we heard everybody, you know, TJ said we know everybody was laughing, right? That's like the thing he said going into the game, and I think after the game he used that again. And Brian Hartline in the speech of the skull session before the game said we heard them attacking our quarterback, attacking our head coach, and it was a little bit of of almost like how dare you beat your chest, pound your chest so much when you just won one game. Like, we're going to get you back. It's not that. This is not that. This is not about being laughed at. This is that, hey, they're beating us. They might be better than us, and we've got to respond. And that I do think that is a pretty significant difference then. I don't want to say that I think Ohio State thought it was a blip, but I think they talked about it. And when they let their emotions out, they were like, Hey, we we heard them taunting us and we heard people doubting us over one loss. Wait until we show you, right? And now this is not that. So I do think do you think this will be and again, this is a separate podcast, significantly kind of different vibe the next three sixty five? No, we were talking about it immediately after the game, and then the, people can go watch our YouTube videos. But like, yeah, I said that the, the vibe has to change because the reality has changed. You know, one loss, you're still, you can still say you're king of the North. You could still say, hey, go back 10, 20 years. Uh, who is still the standard bearer in the Big Ten? It's Ohio State. But two in a row, in the nature in which it happened, that's that's Michigan now. Ohio State has to chase them down and take it back. They're they're the hunter now instead of being the hunted. Where we used to talk about this like. Boy, does anybody in the Big Ten have any chance to rise up to Ohio State's level? Aren't they on a plateau by themselves? That has been eradicated. And now Ohio State is the team trying to claw its way back up there. We're going to have a very interesting, not for a while. I don't think we have to do it immediately. We've got a lot of stuff going on in the next month. But it's probably time to reload the tiers of College Football Podcast. Yeah. And time to reload King of the North and time to reload a lot of stuff. So uh, we'll have time to do it because we're not going to the Big Ten Championship game on Saturday. All right, when we come back, what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Lee-Marie is back with Nathan Baird. If you want to be part of these surveys, we're going to be doing a lot of surveys this week um, and, and all during bowl season. 614-350-3315. Um, this is one of those. There's different reasons to get the text. There's like the information, the analysis, the immediacy of things. But I do think the idea of like I'm part of a focus group and sometimes you get paid to be in a focus group. We're charging you to be in a focus group, but your voice is heard. Your vote is counted when and it helps us shape our opinions of Ohio State football. So that certainly has value for us. You may feel it has value for you that you want to be one of those voices that we hear one of those votes that we count. So if you want to be part of that, that's. That's the deal year-round. We're, we're constantly doing surveys. But at a time like this, we're really looking for a vibe of what the fan base is feeling. 614-350-3315. What you're watching, I will say again, I've teased this conversation with C.J. Stroud that I am going to write about this week. Um, and when I was talking to him a couple weeks ago, he said that his family had been in town and they went to see Wakanda forever. And I said, oh, we want to go see that, but we're waiting. My, we're going to wait until my daughter gets home from college, but we really want to see it. We wonder if we should go. And he's like, oh, no, no, you got to wait. He said, you have to wait. That's like a movie to see with your family. So I was like, all right. CJ Stroud said, we have to wait. So my daughter came home for Thanksgiving. And so the four of us on Thanksgiving night went to go see Wakanda Forever. And I'm not a big Marvel guy, but Black Panther was by far my favorite Marvel movie because to me it was it – was, 
about a superhero, but it was very grounded, right? It was like there was like real life stuff happening here that wasn't just like somebody in a jetpack flew to the moon, which is like that whatever. What's the one? I can't even. Brie Larson, right? Who is she? Mrs. Marvel. What's her name? Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, not Mrs. Marvel. That's I don't I don't mean that. Captain yeah. Marvel. It's like Captain Marvel's thing is like what's Captain Marvel's Maisel. Yeah, that's right. That's like she's a flapper, right? Or she's something in the twenties. Yeah. Captain Marvel, she like her superpower is like everything. She her superpower is she can do anything. And it's like, well, what is that? That's not that's nothing. I don't want to watch a movie about a person who can do anything. They can shape time, they can be invisible, they can fly to the moon. So like Black Panther was like a re- like very very grounded in the original story of that and then this one is not as much. So to honor Chadwick Boseman you have to see it if obviously if you like Black Panther you have seen it already you're going to see it. But it it did get much more sort of like typical Marvel superhero-y kind of stuff Nathan and I knew than I expected uh, and and I the grounded parts of it and sort of dealing um, obviously you have to deal with the fact that, that Chadwick Boseman is no longer here. I thought that they did well. And then, but there was some other stuff that I was like, what, what is this? Why is this the thing? So, um, the parts I liked, I really liked, but there were other parts of it that I was like, oh no, this is not as much my thing. So I certainly, you know, if you're a Black Panther fan, you've got to go see Wakanda forever. But I, I came away a little bit disappointed, um, from certain parts of it. All right. Did you see it yet, by the way? I haven't seen it. I did see the first Black Panther, my, my cynicism towards superhero movies is, I think, well-documented on this podcast. I enjoyed Black Panther. I would see Black Panther again. Um, I wasn't, like, blown away by it. I thought it was good. Um, but I, um, I, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I remember at the end of the, the Avengers where the Thanos snap happens and the people start, like, you know, uh, crumbling into dust. Spoiler alert. And um, I'm looking around a theater and there's, like, people weeping. And I'm like... What are you people talking about? They they've only made one Black Panther movie. You know they're making more. The Black Panther people that are crumbling are not going away forever. Like they're coming back. They gotta make more money with these people. It like took me out of it right from the beginning. I, I my cynicism saw it right through that. So um which I know probably sounds like a horrible way to go to the movies, but I genuinely do enjoy going to the movies, believe it or not, people. I really, really do. Just not that's just not my cup of tea, but I um the same way that like my dad watches westerns. And I, I could care less about horses and cowboys, but he loves them, so uh, I don't begrudge him that. It's just not my thing. Yeah. All right. So what you what are you watching? Uh, I'm I'm really failing you on what you're watching these days. Uh, I don't. We didn't really have the TV on very much um, anymore. <laughs> um, and and other than things I think I've already talked about. Um, the uh, so my wife is big into the the British baking show. And uh, I find it um, – it's one of those things that's sort of like oddly endearing, um, but but I like it because I can. it's one of the things that I can have on in the background and sort of truly ignore while I'm doing work. It's one of the few things where like if she wants to put it on, I won't get sucked up into it if I happen to be in the same room. If she puts on like a sitcom or another show that we both like – I'm invariably going to get distracted, but the the baking show I can kind of let it just drift into the background. So I'm actually not even really watching it. That's probably not even a good example. Oh, it's like yeah, the the discussion topic is what are you not watching? It's not it's not yeah. yeah. That's one of the few things that's actually been on our TV in the past week, other than football. So, um, did they ever make monkey bread on the British baking show? Do you know? 
No, it's usually more things that are much more elaborate than that. It's like you really, it's like a lot of designs, a lot of like layers. Monkey bread is just a very flaky, pull it apart, uh, yeah. delicious, but not uncomplicated experience. All right. So for what you eat, and we talked about Thanksgiving food last week. My family and I, the four of us, we did go out to a buffet. Nobody in my family really wants to cook or clean, especially me. So we went out and we did, we went to this restaurant in Columbus that's like uh, honors, like uh, World War One fighter pilots and stuff. And we had never been there. And I'm like, now that we have gone, it's like, how have I not been to this restaurant before? So it's over by the airport. It's called the 95th, 94th Aero Squadron. And it just has like all these cool, like old plane decorations. They have an old fighter plane, like not a fighter plane, like an old, like World War One plane out front like it's awesome so i'm sure there are people who are like yeah doug you idiot you've lived here for two decades how'd you just figure this out but the one thing is they said they had the buffet and they had mashed potatoes and the mashed potatoes we all got like heaping servings of mashed potatoes and then we tried them and we were like what is is this and we think we then heard they were sour cream mashed potatoes and it was just mm. a reminder of it. it is the thing that you risk when you go out that it's like oh they have the thing but it might be a twist on the thing that you weren't looking for. It's not your family's twist. It's not your twist. And so, like, we none of us really ate the mashed potatoes. And I know maybe people think, oh, how can you not love sour cream mashed potatoes? They just twist the flavor 15% enough that it wasn't what we were accustomed to. We weren't going to, like, train our palate in the moment when you could just stuff your face with turkey and pie. So we just kind of passed on that. And it is the risk. And I was looking around at all the people there thinking, like, there's kind of a generic Thanksgiving food thing that when you go out, it's like, well, you're going to get turkey. You're going to get stuffing. You're going to get a vegetable. You're going to get rolls. You're going to get a dessert. But there's just enough unique things within that of, like, even, you know, the idea of, like, like Stephen is used to mac and cheese. There wasn't mac and cheese there. You're used to noodles. There weren't noodles there, right? It's like kind of the basics. And so as much as you appreciate the basics, if the basics aren't exactly your version of the basics, even that can leave you a little wanting. But the turkey was slamming. So I gorged myself on turkey. And again, I came home. I had to do no cooking and no cleaning. So well worth it to go out to eat. But we were disappointed by the mashed potatoes. So... Are you doing Thanksgiving? Mashed potatoes yeah. have been a topic. No, go ahead. Yeah, we've been a topic of conversation this week. Well, you were saying uh, you jogged my memory about something a couple years ago. So the first time that Haley and I had to host Thanksgiving or did here in 2019 because of the Michigan game, like I was talking um, earlier in the week, um, we just had my family in. And I think my dad had a very similar experience to you because we had all of the foods that we would normally have at Thanksgiving. But it was like we seasoned our turkey, as you might expect, like a little bit more different and just more. And we like instead of having like the dressing that my mom makes, that's basically just like bread and spices or whatever. We like did like a cornbread sausage stuffing and um, we had like real cranberry sauce instead of just the canned stuff. So I think my dad like he ate it. But I think I got this vibe from him that like, why did you like fancy up my Thanksgiving so much? Like what, what happened to my bland beige Thanksgiving? Then? Yeah. I loved, but when you're doing Thanksgiving leftovers, the mashed potatoes are key in our family because of the noodles, because of the noodles, which I still defend. Listen, when you see a franchise quarterback there at the top, it's like Mitch Trubisky. You take your shot, the bears, you trade up and you take him and maybe it works wow. and maybe it doesn't, but uh... please do not tell your mother that you compared her noodles to Mitch Trubisky. Uh, she, she knows all too well about Mitch Trubisky. Um, 
that you have to put the my, the potatoes in the microwave by themselves first for a little bit because they're so much more dense than everything else. And then you put the noodles on top of that and layer up the rest of your plate and then heat up the rest of the plate. And that's how you get I, I taught my wife that this week and she was she now finally thinks that I know something worth knowing. The the mere main contribution to the marriage is microwave the mashed potatoes first. Not main contribution. I would potentially argue only. <laughs> that's good. Well, it's a good place to start. Um, so is your eating, do you have any Thanksgiving eatings or have you eaten something else? Uh, it's just all been Thanksgiving stuff for the last few days. Uh, I, I did want to mention a, a weird thing that has been introduced it, last year when we had all the family, somebody brought something that I'd never had or thought of. And now I think it's going to be something I demand to have every year at Thanksgiving. And it is, uh, because we had like some, just some appetizers and stuff that you could nosh on like as the preparations went on all day Thursday. And uh, it was chocolate hummus. Oh, my. So if imagine the imagine like the consistency of hummus, but it tastes like chocolate pudding. And you just take like a little vanilla wafer or some other kind of cookie and, and scoop it through there. It's fantastic. Is it actually hummus? With chocolate flavoring, or is it just fancy pudding? I so. Fancy pudding that is tricking no. you. I believe it is chickpeas, uh, ground chickpeas with cocoa and some kind of. I didn't look at the recipe. It's just good. So it's not like somebody in a pudding meeting being like, "People don't eat pudding enough at Thanksgiving," and somebody saying, well, "What if we called it chocolate hummus?" Well. More like somebody at the pudding meeting being like, "Hey, like something fell into the pudding vat." And it's all got this weird consistency. What can we call it instead and still sell it? Yeah. No, I think it's like actually chickpeas that were ground up with with cocoa or oh. whatever and made into chocolate hummus. It's very that good. Because I like chickpeas. It's so creamy. And I like chocolate. And I like pudding. Yeah. That's like one of those in a Friends episode. It's like Jennifer Aniston's cooking and the pages get mixed together. So she makes a truffle that's like half a dessert truffle and half like a meat pie. And she jams it all together. And then Joey, every, it's disgusting when Joey's eating it. And Joey's like, meat, good. Jam, good. Custard, good. And it's like, chickpeas, good. Pudding, good. It's like, I don't care. You just jam it all together. It all tastes good. Um, all right, what are you thinking about this week? Um, I'm thinking about how much longer I'm going to have this cold. <laughs> I keep coughing. I have to keep meeting myself to cough. And it just won't go away. So I'm hoping that um, in this break... Because as you said, we don't have to cover a Big Ten championship game this weekend. So as things recede, at least for a couple of days, I get to bed a little bit sooner and maybe get this cough out of my chest. That's very, very selfish of me, though. No. Why Why the cough can't just go away? No, that's real. I mean, it is. It's like you try to. I, I had that one time. I was like trying to explain to my doctor. It's like, well, for my job, I talk every day. And it's like one of those like, well, what if you just didn't talk for a little bit? It's like, what do you? It's like literally your job is talking. So uh, it does affect you more than most because there are some people who can work in silence. Um, so this thing, I've, I've was been talking about this. I, again, I think I maybe have talked about it on here. I, I really want to write about it, but to write about it now from an Ohio State standpoint is going to seem like an excuse and is going to seem like now if the rivalry has turned, now all of a sudden it doesn't matter as much. And it, it is not my point at all that the Ohio State-Michigan game does not matter as much. But 
it, I do, I really, and we've talked about it, I really have come around on, I just think college football players have to be able to lose and not have it ruin everything. And losing the rivalry game is still going to feel that way. But I do think the world where you lose to Michigan or you're Michigan and you lose to Ohio State, but you've had a great season otherwise, and that sticks with you. And this is this thing that the duality of the rivalry. And while I think while putting everything on the rivalry and that it's both local and national simultaneously, and it's both all about what happens for those three and a half hours head to head, but it also is about the impact it has on your entire season and your hopes for anything else. When all of that is present, it has and can make for the best version of the game. It's why I referred to this past Saturday as potentially the last best version of the game. But I, I really do think it is in a social media era, in an era where every game is on TV, in a game where so much money is at stake, in a game where everything you do as a college athlete is so examined and so discussed. The idea that an 11 and 1 season that was 11 and 0 and like the 11 didn't matter because your goal is the national championship and now that's out of reach and that's it is just not really how sports works and it's not how any other sports work and I think in the modern age I just do really think you have to be allowed to lose and it it is not where I was it is not where I was and then I am not here because Ohio State lost to Michigan the past 2 years but the way Ryan Day has talked about it and to hear, you know, the quote that from Steel Chambers' dad that you had in the story about like how right how difficult it can be and the burden that some of these players feel, the way CJ Stroud has talked about some of this, maybe I'm more aware of it because these losses have like quote ruined Ohio State season, but I think it's going to be okay in a 12 team playoff for somebody who had a loss or two in the regular season to win the national title because that's okay in every other sport. And it's just a hard way to live. And not for the fans, for the players. It's just a hard way to live. And maybe it's not as fun as it should be. And it's not going to excuse or or dampen the intensity of the three and a half hours on a Saturday in November between Ohio State and Michigan. And they, the losing team will still feel that and the losing fans will still feel that. But that then you go on and that then, yes, you want to get them back the next year, but... Maybe it's not the the soul. I don't know how to say it. And again, it sounds like right now it's the worst time for me to try to have an opinion this way because it's yeah. because of what just happened to Ohio State. But I'm I'm really really just there, and um, I just think it will be healthier. And it's not about the rivalry; it's about any loss. I just don't think we. I just don't think the world for college football anymore of if you lose, you're done. You have to be perfect. I just don't think that's the way the sport should work. So bring it on. Bring on the 12 team playoff. Congratulations, absolutely, to the three teams that are undefeated right now. It is a an impossibly not impossibly a very very difficult thing to do that should be admired, no matter how you get there. TCU played a bunch of close games. Man, they're 12-0. How awesome is that? Congratulations to them. And Ohio State is not. And so I'm not saying that Ohio State should be in the playoff ahead or anybody should be in ahead of undefeated teams, but a world where there's room for the undefeated teams and some people who slipped up once. I just think it's better. Healthier. And Yeah. I, and I know I've been there for a while. And I, just to clarify, like what Eric Chambers said, too, was not that um, the – 
pressure was too much. And certainly he wasn't saying that people shouldn't care about the Michigan game as much as they do, because he does. I, I've had conversations with him. But his point was that are people – is anybody enjoying any of these first 11 wins? Like, or is is the perfection standard so um, absolute that not only does your record have to be perfect, the way you get that record has to be perfect. So, so to Ohio State fans, like, did you enjoy in any way, like beating Notre Dame? Like, did you enjoy um, crushing Wisconsin? That was probably like the one that really stood out. That seemed like the most complete win in a lot of ways that like stood up all season, I guess. Um, did you like, did you enjoy winning at Penn state? I know it was close. I know you like can envision how that game, you might've lost it, but did you enjoy it? Like people clearly didn't enjoy beating Iowa 54 to 10, even though it was 54 to 10 because of the way that game played out. I think that was what he was getting at that, that the players feel that. And I think that can grind on you a little bit when it's like, listen, I went out and did this thing and it's actually pretty impressive thing. And I, I'm, you're getting more grief for it, depending on who you listen to, too. So that's the other thing. Like, are you blocking out the right? Uh, are you blocking out in the wrong voices? Blocking out the right voices, letting in the right voices. You know what I'm saying? And I do think it. And and I think I. I don't know if people view me as critical or um, what, but I mean, I, I certainly. Um, I think over the years have not. You know, I'm not just hey, you won. That's great. Like. You know, Luke Fickle, I remember, like was like, we won, didn't we? No, we, we have a lot of those yeah. conversations. Luke Fickle was yeah. like, we won, didn't we? And it's like, well, that's not only it. But also, like, the structure of the sport creates that. Because it's like, well, every other sport, it's like it's your win-loss record. It's like, well, in this sport, it's your win-loss record, but it's also style points because a lot of teams are going to have a similar one-loss record. Yeah. And if you're a one-loss team, you have to look like a good one-loss team so you can make the playoff. The sport demands it. So the more that you let people, yeah. somebody's going to. The more that you let people, that it becomes less figure skating and more win and wins and losses. It's the less subjective it becomes. The more you can lean back on. We won, didn't we? It's like, well, yeah, you won the Big Ten. You're in. Who cares if you won every game by a point? If you had to rally in the fourth quarter in every single game, you're the Big Ten champ. You're automatically in. You're the SEC champ. You're the Pac-12 champ. You're automatically in. I do think that is better. But I certainly can be critical. But I do think at times, and this is on us as a group, and I'm. I'm not calling anybody out. I I have at times, Nathan, felt in news conferences after games or on a Tuesday when Ohio State's coming off a win and the first 12 questions maybe or six of the first eight will have sort of a what's wrong with you tinge to it of, of why isn't this better? And I do think as a group we can put, and I'm probably as guilty as anybody in applying the standard. I do try to be cognizant sometimes of like, Man, they did just win by 28, and I feel like this 20-year-old kid just got five questions in a row about why they weren't better in their 28-point win. I'm going to try to give them a question that is, explain why you did this well, because I can, I almost can feel them drowning in these questions a little bit. I feel moments like that, and we are the representatives of the fans. And so, yes, social media can be a toxic place. That's not new to anybody. But I do sometimes, the vibe can come from us. And so I do think we can get trapped in a vortex of applying a standard, a high standard that they welcome and they do not run from. I think we can apply it so strongly that we can shape the conversation or shape the feeling in the room a little bit 
in a way that can make it feel not as fun, in a way that can make it feel like more of a burden. And I, I don't know. I think maybe we all could, me included, top of the list. We could all have some self-reflection about that. And if we're not saying, well, you got to be 12-0, and 0. that wasn't great. You might lose next week if you do that because guess what? You can get in at 10-2. and 2. I think it just might change the tone of a three-month process in a good way. Do, do you ever feel that sometimes? And I'm not saying that we're different than any other media cohort in the nation, but the standard here is high. Right. Well, it is a little bit different here. There's just more, and the standard is so high, and um, and there isn't necessarily a history here yet of getting the second chance. I guess 2016 would be the best example where it actually did sort of happen. But you know what I'm saying? Like other places, you know, Auburn can Alabama could lose to Auburn and still maybe win a national championship. Like that sort of thing can happen. It happened last year. Georgia can lose to Alabama, come back and win a national championship. And and it seemed like that maybe isn't yet this an experience that's happened here to the same way. So I think you're right that I think the 12 team will change because again, you're right. It's just like every the, there won't be the finality of every game every loss every game doesn't now become a referendum on whether you are perfect enough and it it strikes me every year right when the last undefeated nfl team loses and the 72 dolphins all do their celebration right and it like that's like a, a rite of passage it's like well because what you're not going to win every game in the nfl that's impossible but yet that's the standard we apply to college football where in the nfl it's like the the, the eagles mm-hmm. lost to the washington and it was like, wow, that was a surprise. It's like, well, that's fine. Like they were upset for like 20 minutes after the game. And then they went home and they were still in first place. So you're all good. They're going to make the playoffs. It's all good. I think I took the commanders getting points because of tissue. Oh, in my nice. Baseball. There you have it. I so, think I won see, so see, so like the Eagles were sad, but Washington and Nathan Baird were happy and everybody, everybody went home with a smile on their faces. So it's just something I've been thinking about. And again, it, it, it might not be the time to write it. Um, but I'm going to write it at some point. And so we'll see. Um, and again, I, I know some people are hearing this. It's not like you, Ohio state losing to Michigan, like is never okay. And I, and it's not what I think. It's not what Nathan thinks. And it's not even what the fans think is that like nobody in the building thinks that. And, and I do think it again, there are young men searching for the right words after a devastating loss. CJ said something about this one loss is not going to define us, and people are like, they don't get it. You know, the whole point is it does define you. It doesn't mean they don't care. That's not what that is, right? You're searching in the moment. They're devastated. They're devastated. And they're and they're the responsibility is to come out and speak when you're sad, just like you speak when you're happy. Speak in triumph and speak in defeat. You know, I do think that that. You stand up and you do that. So I don't think it is an unreasonable expectation for a quarterback to do that. doesn't mean it's easy. And you're searching for the right words and uh, in a very disappointing world. So I think just for everybody, everybody who cares about Ohio State is disappointed. If everybody can have a little grace towards each other within that disappointment, I, I just don't think there's any world where like people don't care. The fans care. The players care. The coaches care. The administrators care. Everybody cares about this game. Um, but maybe there's a way where we can all just care about it in a healthier way. And I think the structure of the sport has a lot to do with that. And I think we're headed in a good direction. All right. That was, uh, there's a lot to talk about. We're going to have stuff ahead. We'll have a Tuesday pod. We will have a Tuesday pod this week. We're not going to make you wait and have that gap. So we'll be back on Tuesday. 
But for now, we appreciate you guys making us part of your week. Go read cleveland.com slash OSU. There'll be more stuff cranking out there. Uh, try the text at 614-350-3315. For Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Lee Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.